Hi, this is Dr. Christopher Perrin, and welcome to The Christopher Perrin Show, my podcast. In this particular episode, we're going to continue our exploration of the topic of the sacred synthesis embodied in the question asked so famously by Tertullian around 198 AD, that question being, what does Jerusalem have to do with Athens? In the preceding episode, we looked at Basil, the Greek-speaking church father from Cappadocia, who wrote in his book or his letter to uh, Greek men studying literature about uh, how the discriminating bee could be a metaphor for the way that scholars appropriate and 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 engage with the classical Greek and Roman tradition of literature. Now, for Basil, it was Greek, but the classical tradition has to be encountered. It's still with us. The great writings from the classical tradition have been and continue to be very influential in contemporary thought. It's part of our inheritance of people who've come out of this tradition, of the Mediterranean classical tradition. Um, For example, if you have read any of Plato's dialogues, if you have read The Republic, if you have read any of the great epics like uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey or the Aeneid or Dante's uh, Divine Comedy, uh, followed later by, say, Milton's Paradise Lost, you have been engaged with some very fruitful, provocative ideas that continue to be fertile for thinking and writing and discussing and living today. How do we engage that inherited tradition? How do we critique it? How do we assess it? What do we take? What do we find beneficial? What must we let go? Well, we saw Basil writing the 300s was already suggesting a kind of filtering process. But how do we filter? What do we keep? What do we not keep? Tertullian, when he answered the question, what does Jerusalem have to Athens, sided solidly with Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem doesn't have much to do with Athens, according to Tertullian, and we should be very much wary of the poison that could come in with Athens. That was Tertullian. But we also saw in the previous episode that when Tertullian was writing, there were many newly converted Romans and Greeks who were Christians who were still very much tempted by a return back to pagan worship. So the context was different than it is today. There aren't too many of us who are genuinely tempted to go uh, pray to pagan gods at a temple down the street. But in the 200s AD, this was a very real temptation for new Christians, and paganism was very much alive and well, was dominant in Greek and Roman society. Still, uh, writers like Basil and Clement and Tertullian are engaging these questions and seeking to give them a a wise answer for their own time. What's the answer for our time? Well, we saw what Basil had to say. Basil thought that being a discriminating bee would allow us at times to reject things, not go to every flower, not get pollen from every flower. Some would perhaps be noxious and not good for the hive and not make good honey and not help the hive to thrive. But the right flowers should bring pollen to the hive and bless the hive and sustain the hive. This is kind of Basil's ongoing metaphor. We should be discerning, discriminating, choose some and reject others. What does the great writer Augustine, the Latin-speaking writer also from North Africa, have to say? So far, we've considered three North Africans, Tertullian, 
and from Carthage, and then we considered Clement from Alexandria, that's Alexandria, Egypt, and North Africa. And now we are looking at Augustine from Hippo, also in North Africa, an African province of the Roman Empire. The passage that we would like to consider from Augustine is from his book on Christian doctrine, where he gives us another metaphor for thinking about how we might consider the inherited Greek and Roman tradition of philosophy, literature, and poetry. So, I'm going to read a passage from chapter 39 from book 3 of De Doctrina Christiana, or On Christian Doctrine. He writes this way, Accordingly, I think that it is well to warn studious and able men who fear God and are seeking for happiness of life not to venture heedlessly upon the pursuit of the branches of learning that are in vogue beyond the pale of the Church of Christ, as if these could secure for them the happiness they seek, but soberly and carefully to discriminate among them. Now, this sounds a lot like Basil that we considered in the previous podcast. Discrimination is necessary. Discernment. Being careful and sober. Uh, We ought not to venture, he says, heedlessly upon the branches of learning that are in vogue beyond the pale of the church. In other words, the pale of the church, what the church teaches, is important to keep in mind as a kind of standard when we're studying these other branches of learning. So he seems to be issuing here a warning. You should be very careful about this. It could be harmful to you to study these branches of learning. So we warn studious and able young men. So just as Basil writes a letter to young men, in this case, he's addressing young men as well. And then in chapter 40, we read this from Augustine. Moreover, if those who are called philosophers and especially the Platonists have said aught that is true and in harmony with our faith, we are not only not to shrink from it, but claim it for our own use. Now, Remember, Tertullian was saying, stay away, be very careful about uh, the classical tradition of the Greeks and Romans. He did admit there was truth in the Greek and Roman traditions, but he thought that as a system, the pattern of thought that came, say, with a great thinker like Plato was contrary, opposed to the gospel. So, Tertullian stood in a kind of antithetical relationship to Greek and Roman teaching and learning. Here, Augustine and Clement, Clement of Alexandria, took that view that we could incorporate anything that was true, good, and beautiful from any of these writers and harmonize it properly with the Christian faith. And he even thinks of the, the, uh, the writers like, say, Plato and Aristotle as not being anti-Christian, but just, well, sub-Christian or pre-Christian and not, in many, many cases, in opposition to the gospel at all. And so much of what Plato and Aristotle had to say could be incorporated into a Christian view of things. Well... What do you think of Augustine so far? Certainly, he's, he is, he's already sounded a Tertullian note warning young men not to go beyond the pale of the church in their studies. But here he says, if those who are called philosophers, and especially the Platonists, said anything that, uh, that might be true and in harmony with our faith, we are not only to, not to shrink from it, but claim it for our own use from those who have unlawful possession of it. And here he introduces another thought that the Greeks, say, could have discovered truths but not used them well 
and had a kind of possession of those truths that was in some ways not properly put to use. He calls it unlawful possession. He goes on, for as the Egyptians, here's his metaphor, for as the Egyptians had not only the idols and heavy burdens which the people of Israel hated and fled from, but also vessels and ornaments of gold and silver and garments, which the same people when going out of Egypt appropriated to themselves, designing them for a better use, not doing this on their own authority, but by the command of God, the Egyptians themselves in their ignorance providing them with things which they themselves were not making a good use of. Well, let me stop there for a moment. He's, he's appealing to the exodus of the Israelites coming out of Egypt when the Egyptians gave them garments at the command of God and gold even as they were leaving. You remember the Egyptians at this point were just glad they were leaving after they had suffered the 10 plagues and the destruction of Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea, etc. They were giving them gifts, good riddance, goodbye, uh, we now want to be uh, left alone, <laughs> so the Egyptians were thinking, you might say, and giving them these gifts of gold, even as they left. And Augustine's saying, the Egyptians had this gold, and gold is good, but they had not used that gold properly. So, now the turn. What does this analogy, what is this analogous of? He says, in the same way, Augustine says, all branches of heathen learning have not only false and superstitious fancies and heavy burdens of unnecessary toil, which every one of us, when going out under the leadership of Christ from the fellowship of the heathen, ought to abhor and avoid. Does it sound like Clement or Tertullian? Clearly, it sounds like Tertullian. Things need to be cast off. Things need to be avoided. Things are harmful. But then Augustine goes on. But they contain also liberal instruction, which is better adapted to the use of the truth. So it's not one way or the other, is it, for Augustine, just like it wasn't for Basil. There are some things that we must leave behind, but there are some things that are actually edifying and good and true. So I repeat from Augustine, but they contain also liberal instruction, which is better adapted to the use of the truth and some most excellent precepts of morality and some truths in regard even to the worship of the one God are found among them. Now, does this sound like Tertullian or Clement? Clearly, it sounds like Clement. There are even truths regarding morality in the, the Greek and Roman tradition. There are even truths regarding the worship of the one God found among them. And I think he's thinking primarily here of Plato. Now these, he says, are, so to speak, their gold and silver, which they did not create themselves. He's speaking of the Egyptians here. They did not create these themselves, but they dug out of the mines of God's providence, which are everywhere scattered abroad and are perversely and unlawfully prostituted, prostituting to the worship of devils. So, Augustine is agreeing that the Egyptians had mined gold out of God's providence, things that are true, good, beautiful, belonged ultimately and rightfully to God. They discovered these things and made use of them not always well. But then the Israelites and we can make use of the same things, what he's called liberal instruction. 
Now these therefore the Christians when he separate the Christian when he separates himself in spirit from the miserable fellowship of these men ought to take away from them and to devote to their proper use in preaching the gospel. Now in this book Augustine is writing to those who would become preachers. Uh, it's a book on Christian teaching, and he has pastors, future pastors, and current pastors in view. And so he's saying that there's liberal instruction that comes from the Greek and the Romans, like from Cicero, rhetoric, uh, from Aristotle, rhetoric, philosophy, logic, great ways of speaking, writing, and persuading. He says these ideas about how we speak and write and persuade and think and reason are the kind of liberal instruction that we can use as Christian pastors to adorn the gospel. Now, this is no surprise for those of you who know something about Augustine, because prior to his conversion to Christianity, he was a professor of rhetoric in Milan under the Rome, in the Roman Empire, a high-ranking professor. He had used rhetoric. He sees rhetoric as something human and good that other humans outside of the church can discover and make use of, but perhaps use to wrong ends. And Augustine is saying, but something like rhetoric and other kinds of liberal instruction, even precepts of morality, can be used by Christian pastors and put to their proper use in preaching the gospel. And then he concludes, their garments also, that is, human institutions, such as are adapted to that intercourse with men which is indispensable in this life, we must take and turn to a Christian use. You see Augustine being both Clementine and Tertullian. But here he's ending with a decidedly Clementine note. But let me go on and read a little bit more from Augustine. And what else have many good and faithful men among our brethren done? Do we not see that with what, with what a quantity of gold and silver and garments Cyprian, that most persuasive teacher and most blessed martyr, was loaded when he came out of Egypt? He's speaking metaphorically about some other more recent Christian pastors, leaders, thinkers, and writers who were, well, steeped in the classical tradition of the liberal arts. How much Lactantius brought with him, and Victorious, and Optatus, and Hilary, not to speak of living men. How much Greeks out of number have borrowed. And prior to all these, that most faithful servant of God, Moses, had done the same thing. For of him it is written that he was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. For what was done at that time of the Exodus was no doubt a type of prefiguring what happens now. So here's Augustine writing, say, around 400 AD. He cites people who have gone before him who are Christians who had been blessed by their own study of the liberal tradition of the Greeks and the Romans and some living men. And of course, we have to think about Augustine himself who also, well, benefited from the Egyptian gold, the classical learning of the Greeks and the Romans. And he says this analogy of the Exodus is a type that prefigures what's happening now. And so we would ask, is it a type that prefigures what's happening now in our time? Can we too benefit, if we're in the Christian tradition, from the great learning from those who are outside of the Christian tradition? This was Augustine's view, and this was Basil's view. But note, it, note that it wasn't a one-dimensional view. It wasn't also without a warning about the dangers that come from studying this tradition. That we're to be critical, self-aware, guarded, and to wisely filter 
and refine, as it were, the gold that we inherit from that tradition. Well, we'll let that stand for now. There's a brief discussion of Augustine on this issue of what does Jerusalem have to do with Athens. And I'll offer some additional thoughts to our contemporary period in the next episode when we continue to explore the idea of the sacred synthesis. I'll see you then. Music